Welcome to Transform with Yayati. My name is Yayati Desai and I'm going to be your host for this show. I'm a coach and a speaker. I love coaching and helping people. My mission in life is to transform lives. Each week, I bring an inspiring person or message to transform your life and help you live the life of your dreams. Hi Beth, welcome to Transform with Yayati. Good afternoon. It's great to be here with you. I'm very excited for the time together with you. Yes, I'm excited too. And the first time that I heard about you was from a mutual friend, Patty Aubrey. And she's a wonderful person. And she shared one of your videos about abundant health and how we can be healthy by following some natural ways. So that's what really got me uh, curious. Because these times, right, if the world is under lockdown, there's this pandemic going on across the world. And which is where uh, the element of health is coming into picture. And everybody is really focused on how can we improve us, improve our health in a better way. So let's start with the question that what is abundant health according to you? <laughs> Thank you. So to me, abundant health involves the mind, the body, and the spirit. I had the unfortunate experience at first, which ended up being a huge blessing of being diagnosed with cancer just three years ago. And I had been doing a really good job with my diet. I was eating well. My husband had gone through a cancer diagnosis a number of years prior to that, and I had changed my diet to match his. He came into remission just by changing the way he ate. And so I was eating really well, organic, healthy food, etc. But I wasn't managing my emotions very well. And so I learned, you know, I went through this, this laboratory of learning that health is so much more in order to have it be abundant in my experience. I needed to manage my emotions well, and I needed to do my spiritual practices. All of it was tied up together. So when I put the phrase abundant health together, that's what I'm thinking about, that it's including body, mind, and spirit. So can you elaborate on all these aspects? Like what is the mind according to you and what role does it play in the abundant health? And how can we uh, become more mindful and how can we improvise that aspect of us? Yeah, so we could spend the whole rest of the talk on this subject because I have come to believe that the mind is so much more powerful than even the food that I was eating, that I could have not been eating as scrupulously as I was, but if I had been handling the mind part well, I would have probably have never become sick. Hmm. So I, I've done a really deep dive into quantum physics and the quantum nature of reality, subatomic particles and atoms and all of the the energy packets that make up the physical body. I call it the human suit. Mm. And it's all just energy. It's a manifestation from an energetic source. And the energy is malleable by emotion. I like to call emotion energy in motion. And we already have seen, and I talk about Eastern medicine and Eastern of philosophy and Western medicine and Western philosophy. We've already seen in Western biochemical studies of cells and cellular biology that our body is impacted by our emotions. I'll give you one example. 
if you fret a lot, worry, 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 and you're super anxious, you can develop an ulcer. Your stomach literally is what is affected by anxiety, worry, chronic worry, where you just, you can't sleep. You worry and worry and worry. And that is exactly a parallel in the Taoist healing arts that I practice, which is Qigong, mm. that the stomach is part of the earth element and the energetic impact of worry and anxiety on the earth element is detrimental. Mm. And so really studying the five elements theory and understanding all, all of the body's organs and the energetic systems that interact and interface with those organs and what emotions are tied to them. Mm. So we teach that fear can weaken the kidneys and your kidneys are such a valuable part of your detox pathway. And if you're really fearful, like right now, a lot of people are very, very much afraid. Yes. Um, you're, you can have, begin to have physical problems that relate to the renal system or the kidneys. Um, if you are angry a lot, you're really angry. You have, I had a lot of anger issues early on in my life and growing up. This anger emotion impacts the liver. And the liver is where a lot of the immune system mm. has components that help fight things like cancer. I didn't know any of this. And, you know, I didn't do enough. I did a lot of things. I've done a, a TED Talk. I went to Italy in October and did a TED Talk about how the anger that I was trying to deal with in my life led me to meditative arts and qigong and natural ways of healing to try to fix my brain you know mm. and then that ended up being what helped me save my own life from cancer so that you can go on with the five elements theory but that is so um important to understand you know when you're feeling hatred or judgment or animosity you're hurting your heart physically hurting your heart not just your emotional heart you know that we talk about mm. so it's fascinating to me to understand how these things tie together yes beautiful so you shared that worry anxiety anger fear they have a direct impact on our physical health but right. the thing is as human beings our default setting is to act out of those lower emotions so you have to train your mind yes. you have a uh, you have three different components to your brain and one of them is the limbic system. And the limbic system is where those habits, it's a groove that's been, grow, you know, kind of rubbed down into the psyche mm. to respond with those emotions. And you can retrain your brain. Um, there are resources out there to teach you how to retrain your brain. I just finished a program with Lindsay Mitchell here in Austin. She's a physician's assistant and she has now an online streaming program because of the situation that we're in with the, the virus and everyone kind of being quarantined. It's called Vital Side. It's vital-side.com. She will do a five-day program with you. I just finished the program and teach you really strongly how to retrain your limbic system. And I took it because I started to have some chronic pain. 
I've been having some chronic pain for about two years. I'm doing all my Qigong, I'm doing all my visualizations, I'm doing you know, everything I know to do. My doctor's working with me. I went and did an Ayurvedic um, mm. Panchakarma treatment you know, to try to find relief from the chronic pain. I did this five-day program with her, retrained my limbic brain, dealt with the neuroplasticity of the mind, and on the third day, my pain lifted. Wow. Because the pain is manufactured in the brain, and it is a conditioned response. Mm. And so what I, I did a follow-up uh, session with, with Lindsay, and I said, you know, what it made me think about was, okay, so you have a health condition or some chronic pain or something that is not pleasant for you, right? Mm. And every morning I was waking up and I even asked my husband, could you ask me every morning, how's your back feeling? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, no, let's not even think about the back. So as I'm retraining my limbic system and I'm focusing on happy things, joyful things, what's going well, you know, I'm telling my brain when I feel a pain, that's just the limbic system. It's not, it's a misfire, you know, it's, it's, let's go on to something more pleasant. The side effect to managing your mind is health. Mm. But it's a side effect. It's not the main thing I'm focusing on. And I saw that with myself with cancer. <clears throat> I would spend hours out of each day doing home treatments, infrared sauna, Epsom salt bath, coffee enemas, colon hydrotherapy, steam showers, all these things to really nurture the body but I didn't spend a lot of time every day thinking about cancer because I didn't want that to take up my awareness of my whole life, you know, take mm. over my life. And I had that experience of five or six months of just really focusing on how good it felt to mm. be in the hot steam and just sit there and smile and how wonderful the smell of the aromatherapy was and how joyful it was to, have slowed down and be at home and be able to look out and see the baby deer running around in my yard, you know, all of those things were, that was my focus, but the side effect was completely reverse cancer, no mm. chemo, no radiation, no surgery, just this mechanism up here in my head. <laughs> That's why I say it's probably more, more powerful than what I was eating. Mm. So let me, uh, let, let's go back to the moment when you were diagnosed with the cancer. And there must be a, a time where you had to make a decision, either to go the traditional way or to go to try this way. And a lot of fear and anxiety, or I don't know that, I'm just assuming, but I just want yeah. to hear it My from you. My story a little bit different. Yes. I did have a time where I had to make that decision. Yes. When yes. I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to make the decision when I was 52 because I had already made that decision. My mother was diagnosed with colon cancer when I was 12. And she was very natural health minded, alternative therapy minded. She went to Colorado. I remember that she was gone for a month. She said it was actually only two weeks, but at the age of 12, it felt like mom was gone for a month, you know? Correct. She went to another state she went to a, a health camp in those days. It was in the 70s. Mm. She was given 
high colonic treatments to wash the colon. She was given uh, a, a drug that's synthesized from a natural substance, and the drug is called Laetril. It's banned in the United States now, but she was given infusions of Laetril. She was put on a special diet. She ate apricot seeds out of the pit of the apricot. She ate a lot of organ meat. You know, they did a lot of different things. Mm. She came home and her tumor in two weeks went from the size of two of my dad's fists put together to one fist. It had halved 50% wow. smaller. And so at that time, then my dad was very anxious and he said, honey, you need to have surgery. And now that the tumor was so much smaller, she agreed to have the tumor removed surgically. But no, she didn't, you know, typically with colon cancer, you're not going to be doing radiation, things like that afterward anyway. But she had books at home. And one of the books I remember the most was called World Without Cancer. And I read that book when I was 12 years old. Hmm. And I developed a very strong, we'll call it a confirmation bias. It is a confirmation bias toward natural alternative health, toward the idea that the body created this mutation and the body has what it needs to reverse that. And I just had that I call it a belief, but it is a confirmation bias. My surgeon, the surgeon I went to said, you have a really strong confirmation bias. I said, yes, mm. I do. This is not the path for me. Great. And so when she confirmed that, they said, we need to do five biopsies. There's a lot in here. And I wouldn't even let them go in and do a biopsy. Mm. I went down to Mexico where they do something called a blood biopsy. So they're isolating the circulating tumor cells that the tumor sheds into the blood. You don't have those tumor cells if you don't have a malignant tumor. Mm. And they were able to phenotype the exact type of breast cancer I had. And they were able to count how many mutated cells, malignant cells, were in my blood sample. I had, I had 30 trillion mutated cells in one blood sample, which was about a pint. So wow. there was a lot, a lot of cancer going on in that right breast, but they're cells and cells communicate to each other. And these cells had forgotten how to die. They only were multiplying and multiplying and multiplying, and there's no signal receiver for them to get the message, okay, the end of your cell life has come, and it's time for you to move on into another form of energy. And they also protect themselves with layer after layer after layer of a protein called fibrin, which is creating an inflammation in the body. But there are enzymes that break down the fibrin. So I needed to supplement with extra enzymes so that that protective coating on those cells could be stripped away and my immune cells could suddenly detect them again because the immune cells can't even detect the cancer cells. They're protected. They're in hiding, let's mm. say. So we know what to do to bring them out of hiding and then they don't stand a chance against the natural killer cells. The natural killer cells that you have in your body are designed specifically to kill cancer cells, viruses, other pathogens that don't belong in the body. So what I knew was possible at the age of 12 was to use the body's own system. And listen, this is what they're doing now in the laboratories. They're working on immunotherapy. Mm. And they are coming to understand in, in Western uh, medicine 
the, the best way to go after cancer is to harness the body's immune system, not suppress it with chemotherapy, which is what happens. You completely suppress the immune system. Hmm. That didn't make any sense to me at all. So the decision was already made. Then they say, there's a lot in here. We need to do five biopsies. And I said, I already knew I was going to go to Mexico for treatment. That, you know, if I were ever diagnosed with cancer, I would go to Mexico. And I even told my husband when I was 24, we're talking about different philosophies we have Mm. before we were married. You know, what do you think about this type of thing or that type of thing? And I said, 24 years old, I said, if I'm ever diagnosed with anything like cancer, I'm going to go to Mexico for a month and come home well. So I already made the decision. And I wasn't afraid because I've seen and heard of many, many, so many people that do so many different things and heal with cancer. What I hear more of are people that do traditional treatments in other types of cancer and metastases, and then their life is is even shorter and more painful. I knew I didn't want that. I have a friend who told me yesterday, I hadn't heard this story before. She told me yesterday her father was diagnosed with mesothelioma, which is a really aggressive form of lung cancer. And the doctor told him, you know, we have to do these treatments. We can extend your life to nine months if we do these extreme treatments. And he, his daughter said, well, let's get a second opinion. Hmm. So they went to another doctor and the other doctor said, listen, if we don't do these treatments, you have about nine months to live. And they're like, okay, if I do the treatments, I may live nine months. If I don't do the treatments, I only have nine months. Hmm. So if my number is nine months, which by the way, I don't let anybody tell me how much life I have left. That's not for you to determine for me. You know, people are told that and go on to live 20, 30 years. You can't tell me that. Hmm. But anyway, He said, well, if I only have nine months either way, why would I do those treatments? That's going to be brutal. So he decided not to do the treatments. And she is a chiropractor. So she said, Dad, let's get you to a homeopath. Let's have you work with a naturopath. Um, You know, let's do some natural things. The man lived four years. Amazing. (laughs) You know, four years with no conventional treatments. I hadn't heard that story before, but those kinds of, of examples and really having an experience with people who've gone through something different gave me more confidence even in my path. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's, it's my decision. It's my life. It's my choice. And it was my decision. And I, right. I didn't second guess myself. Even when at one point the radiologist said, this is not going the right direction. Mm. I said, I need more information. And I had other people review the scans and they said, this is exactly what we see when a tumor becomes necrotic. Hmm. You're going to see the mass expand just a little bit. You're going to see it get really dark. You're going to see the lymph nodes around it getting more active because they're breaking down the tumor. Hmm. So my radiologist said, wait three weeks. Let's do another scan and see where we are. The first radiologist said, well, you know, if they're advising that to you, go ahead and do that. But I think you need to probably up what you're doing, ramp it up, go to Switzerland or wherever else you were planning to go. And in three weeks, the tumor was half its size because that was what was happening. Mm. But a trained doctor who had seen it happen before recognized it. A doctor who's never seen anyone's body lies a tumor this way naturally didn't know what he was seeing. Mm. 
<laughs> so. so luckily for most of the listeners, they're not going through such uh, difficult situations, extreme situations. So what are some of the principles that you've learned along your way, which you can share, which people can immediately apply and start seeing a shift in their health? Yeah. Well, you're in a country that has a lot of emphasis on some of the things that I am talking about now. Um, the first one is to breathe, mm. to breathe, breathe deeply. I think we can avoid so many illnesses, weakness, immune suppression if we are breathing. Mm. And this is where the mind is important because the mind has to remind you to stop and take five to ten. 10 real deep breaths. Mm. It took me, you don't believe this, took me three months from diagnosis. Three months later, I was actually breathing deeply. It took me three months to train myself to breathe. Mm. I would take a breath in and hold it. It was that limbic system, panic response, mm. the fear, not, not really fear for me, but fear for my husband, stress, the anxiety that I wasn't letting go of, things with my children, things with my work, you know, and I, I just wasn't breathing enough. So that's the first one is breathe. The second one is understand how to hydrate properly. There's an adage that says drink eight ounces of water, you know, eight, eight ounce glasses of water water a day or drink half your body weight in ounces of water. Those mm. are good adages, but there's a specific way to drink water so that your body's tissues absorb the water. Otherwise, you're just filling up your bladder, <laughs> you know, because the body can't absorb the full eight ounces as you drink it. Your body can absorb about four ounces at a time. So that means every 30 minutes, you need to sip water. Drinking it all day, not just saying, oh, I need eight, eight, eight ounce glasses. I've only had five. I better chug down three. Mm. That won't get it. So I use my phone every half hour. A little bell chimes. A phone's with you everywhere you go. Mm. Oh, that's my water. Remind. Yes. And I know I can drink four ounces of water in about five or six gulps or drink, you know, swallows. So I take my five or six swallows and put my water bottle down and then go about my day. Now, the other thing to know about water is what kind of water are you drinking? Mm -hmm. I don't like to drink water out of a plastic bottle. And that's really, I see people everywhere drinking water out of plastic bottles. And the water that you're drinking out of the plastic bottle has plastic particles in it. Right. They've done studies on plastic bottled water and every single bottle they've studied from every brand had plastic particulates in it. Mm. Some of the particles were as big as a strand of hair. I don't want plastic in my body. Never mind the BPA, bisphenol acetone. That's what BPA stands for, bisphenol acetone. You don't mm. want that in your body. And that will leach into the water when the water bottle gets hot. So in transit, when it's coming on trains or um, in trucks or it's sitting out in front of the, sh the store in the sun, mm. buy your water now and it's sitting there in the sun heating up, that acetone is being leached into the water. So I drink mineral water or filtered water. If I can't get mineral water, I'll drink you know, uh, 
Brita filter or some type of a charcoal filter. Mm. Put some lemon in there because lemon, although it's an acidic citric, citrus fruit, it also is very, very high in minerals. And so the minerals make the water more alkaline. Mm. So that's the kind of water I drink. Living water. I used to drink reverse osmosis water. And I learned that RO water is considered dead water. There are no minerals in it at all. It's like drinking distilled water. Mm-hmm. It has no minerals. And so now if I have reverse osmosis water, I will put a little, few grains of Himalayan sea salt for the minerals to put the minerals back in it or a squeeze of lemon. And then that's the water I'm going to drink. Mm. So what's the proportion that you would uh, recommend? Proportion? of Himalayan water or Himalayan salt or lemon? Yeah. So it depends on the size of the container you're putting the, the salt into. So I have a water bottle that's probably 20 ounces and I take the, the larger chunks, not the biggest chunks, but the size that you would maybe put into a salt grinder. And I just put five or six or seven of those chunks in there mm. and then let them, let them melt. Um, okay. If it's a bigger, like a five gallon jug, I might even put two teaspoons of that mineral okay. in it. Okay. I like to get coral calcium as well. Um, it usually comes in a capsule and you have to open the capsule. The coral calcium has sea coral uh, minerals in it and it's not used from living coral and it's harvested in parts of the ocean that are less polluted. So I don't mind using that from time to time. I'm moving away from sea salt because the ocean is Polluted. That's why I like the Himalayan sea salt. It's less polluted because it hasn't been uh, exploited. To be, yeah, to be contaminated yet. When we hope it stays that way. Yes, beautiful. And for those of you who uh, don't understand the measurement of ounces, around twenty oh. ounces is approximately one liter, and four Thank ounces you. is approximately two hundred ml. I just converted that on my Google because even okay, I didn't good, know. Okay, good, good to know. <laughs> They tried to teach us the metric system when I was in let's say high school, like right. my ninth, grade nine, grade 10, but nobody really took to it. And so they stopped. I don't understand. We, we were making good progress in learning the metric system. <laughs> really All right. Great. Wonderful. So the first thing which you mentioned is breathing. breathing. The second is hydration. hydration. What hydration. else? So the third one is just listen to your thoughts. I know that's going back to the mind, but that Mm. is so tied in with the body. I read a statistic recently that said the average female, and it's probably an American female, has 1,000 negative thoughts toward herself every day. 1,000. The average male has 10 negative thoughts toward himself. (laughs) So it's true for women, at least I can speak for that gender because I am one that we think a lot of negative things about ourselves. Right. And when, when you're constantly being bombarded with negative feedback from others, it's demoralizing. Hmm. But when you're being bombarded with negative feedback from your own self, can kill you honestly can kill you, can suppress your immune system so deeply that the body can't survive it. So listen to your self-talk. What are you saying to yourself? And catch yourself. It's, it's a transition. You've got to train yourself. 
If you hear yourself saying, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I do it? No, stop it. Mm. Stop saying that about me. You're not stupid. You know, I'm bright. I'm smart. I just forgot or whatever. I just, just had a bad moment. It's not that I'm stupid. Well, talk back to yourself. Mm. Be aware of what you're thinking. It's so, it's so, so important. I think probably the fourth thing would be to avoid, avoid processed food, processed mm. sugar, processed food. Avoid it as much as possible. Eat whole food, uh, mostly plant-based. Mm. Prepare it yourself. Know where it's coming from. I'll, <laughs> this really grossed me out. We used to eat a lot of canned food. We would go to a big store like Costco or somewhere like that and buy a big flat of canned food. And that would be our vegetables and the canned food. And then I learned in the canned food industry, you're allowed to have a certain number of parts per million of insect pieces, rat feces, things like that. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, I don't want to eat that canned food anymore. It's been boiled to death. Usually the nutritional value is really low anyway. Mm. And it's allowed to have these contaminants in it that you don't want to be eating. Right. And they spray the inside of the cans with that BPA so that the food doesn't stick onto the can. You open it and everything just kind of sloshes out. That was the end for me. I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to eat canned food. So if you can't get fresh produce frozen is the second best mm. so bagged and frozen um, vegetables hopefully organically grown how how accessible is organically grown produce where you live well it's 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 quite easily available in india now the organic is available and luckily we have a lot of uh, you know fresh vegetables and fruits being consumed yes, we don't have that culture yet of yes we do have a little bit of it but most people, uh, they eat fresh fruits and fresh yes, bought yes. from the farms and the markets. And all of the seasonings and the spices in the dish is so, oh, it not only makes it taste good, but it also gives the food medicinal value. Your mm. food really is medicine. You know, um, the other thing I was going to mention was that um, how you eat the food. When you eat the food, are you quarreling with someone? Are you upset? Are you distracted by reading the headlines, which are so negative right now mm. and are usually always negative? Because that will impact how your body assimilates the nutrition from the food. So mm. if you're eating the food with anxiety and a lot of tension and adrenaline, you're not going to be able to metabolize the nutrients in the food because the body... So think about it this way. We have this brain that sets us apart from the animal kingdom. We can mm. communicate with each other. We, I mean, there's things we can do that, that animals can't. But at the end of the day, we are mammals. We are mm. animals. We still have the reptilian part of the brain that responds and reacts the way a, a deer would if a tiger was stalking him, right? Mm. And so when the deer is being stalked by the tiger, the deer stops digestion. There is no digestion. There is no elimination. You know, the deer is frozen. Yes. Exactly. Mm. So we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Our body does the same thing. So there are ways to 
do you know who the do you know the the phrase uh, somebody is a horse whisperer or a dog whisperer? Yes. They really understand the way the horse communicates and they can communicate with the horse by body language and same with the dog. You need to become a body whisperer hmm. and understand how to give signals to the body to let the body know all is well. Even though we're locked down because of this virus that's stalking us and we may die from coronavirus, many, many, many more people are healing from it than are dying. Hmm. Um, but even though there's all those scary things in our head, that's sending these signals to the body to put us in fight or flight or freeze, as you mentioned. Hmm. There are things you can do that can override that signal to the body. One very simple one is the breathing. An animal that's being stalked is not breathing deeply. Yes. That animal is panting or holding their breath, so hmm. they're not detected. If they're breathing slowly and fully, the body says, you know, hypothetically, oh, everything's fine. I'm good. I can start digesting. I can rest well. I can proceed with elimination. Hmm. If you stand somewhere with a nice big view and you look way out in the distance and you just gently take in the surroundings you're not darting around and looking really closely right there's a very big difference in what you're doing physically looking out just enjoying the sunset or looking at a, a beautiful view the mountains in front of you that's also a body whisperer tactic that tells the body there is no threat i'm mm. safe i'm out in the open i'm able to see there's nothing coming at me i'm safe and that's another message to the body. And you go into digestion and elimination and, you know, detoxifying. Right. Wonderful. So become a body whisperer. Mm. <laughs> it's easy. It's so easy to do. We just don't know. No, you know, mom didn't teach us that. Mm. You know, while Who's you were describing... While you were describing this, I was wondering that every school should have a school teacher like you so that we learn <laughs> these things when we are young so that we don't have to learn and realize and by making some mistakes, right? Because things, these basic things are not being taught. But right. now, rather than thinking of what could have been now, I think we are educating some people who will be listening to, the, to this podcast about something new. Right. Right. And that's the exact thought which I had in my head that, you know, we should have a teacher like you spreading this across the world and in all the schools and young kids and young teenagers should be taught these things. Because I what? work with a lot of young people and I see that these things, the anxiety, the fear, because of the hormonal changes which are happening with the young ones, they're not able to deal with it. And that's where they make a lot of mistakes and they're eating a lot of junk. So if yep. you have this education, I think it would be wonderful. So more and more, we're seeing um, organizations that want to promote the awareness of mindfulness and mm. mindfulness practices being allowed to come into schools. I know here in my community, um, we're, we're working toward a pilot program into the high school mm. to bring Qigong practice into the high school. Because there have been studies done that show that young people who do mindfulness practices score better on the testing 
And the school wants that because if the kids are scoring better on the testing, they're getting more funding from the federal government, you know? And so they want that. Mm. Um, So little by little, I think some of these practices are coming into the schools and getting it all the way down to the five-year-olds and the six-year-olds. You're feeling anxious and, you know, you've got a child that's prone to having temper tantrums, making sitting and doing meditation enjoyable for that child and it can be done it really can be done and it will change that child's whole life experience for the good Mm. yeah you're exactly right you made me also remember um you talked about the kids eating junk food right and i tried so hard to feed my kids as healthy as i knew how to eat it in those days and, but I had one kid that just refused from a very young age to eat meat. For one thing, he quit eating meat, which we felt was important to have some animal protein. Now I'm, I'm going much the different direction and kind of was a blessing for him that he, he wouldn't eat it. But he stopped wanting to eat vegetables. So I started to find, try to find creative ways to get him vegetables. Um, and some of them probably weren't the best because then now he wants crisps because I found deep fried vegetables. (laughs) That's not good, you know, but I didn't know. So this child now 26 years old lives on packaged food. He's overweight. Hmm. Um, You know, he's not healthy. And this is a kid who is going to be prone to, if he contracts this virus that's going around, it's going to be very hard for him. Hmm. So we we're seeing people with underlying conditions and a lot of the underlying conditions that we're seeing um, these people who are succumbing to the coronavirus have are preventable. They're dietary and lifestyle illnesses, Hmm. diabetes, type two diabetes, heart conditions. Those, those things are preventable, but the time to prevent them was 20 years ago for these people. Not today. They don't have time to reverse. You can reverse type two diabetes so quickly. Um, I worked with, I'm, I'm a nutritionist. I worked with a man changing his diet. He, he literally went off his insulin in three days. Three days? With diet. Wow. Three days. He didn't, no longer needed it. <laughs> I did an interview once with a cardiologist. I interviewed him because the uh, American Medical Association came out with a new calculator to help doctors know when it was appropriate to give a patient a statin drug for high cholesterol. Hmm. And um, it was going to be bringing many more people to the pharmaceutical company because it was going to allow doctors to prescribe the statin drugs much sooner. So I was interviewing this doctor because I know the studies with statin drugs, they don't make that big of a difference. Lifestyle changes make such a huge difference compared to statin drugs. So changing how you eat, but people want a pill. They don't want to change how they eat really. Mm. But I was asking him, you know, what about this with these statin drugs and how changing your diet can have a bigger impact than the drug. And he said to me, Beth, he said, we know as doctors, when we prescribe statins to these patients, we are medicating sloth. Mm. We are medicating to their laziness and lack of desire and will to change how they're eating. That's what people want and that's why they're giving it. It's easier. And I, I said that in my TED talk. I, I was told along the way with my mental health issues, with the anger management that I was dealing with, what you need to do is yoga, tai chi, meditation, get enough sleep, 
all these behavioral changes. Mm. And oh, at the end of this long list of things that I should do were a couple of pills. And I was more consistent with taking the pills than I was with doing the lifestyle changes. It wasn't until I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. I'm not going to die from rage, probably unless I wrecked my car somewhere, right? And road rage, but I could die from cancer. So I, and I need, needed to get, find a way to become consistent. Yes. It's sad that it takes that dire diagnosis for us to move away from the things that could kill us. Yes. Even emergency sets in. That's when we want to act. That's right. Mm. Right. I was taking a group session just before our call. And uh, someone asked me that, you know, I have these desires and, uh, and a metaphor came in my mind where I, I think I heard it somewhere or I read it, that we have two beings in us. One is the eagle. So when we set our goals, we have this eagle level of aspirations. But when we have to act, we become the hippo. And we yeah. don't act. So that's why those two things don't match. When I was younger in my, my mid-30s, I had gained a lot of weight, had my two children. Um, I was just gaining more and more and more weight every year, gaining 10 more pounds, 10 more pounds until I found myself about 52 pounds overweight, mm. 52 to be exact. Right. And I watched myself from outside and I observed that I would take a bag of Oreo cookies, mm. the chocolate cookies with the vanilla center, and I would take the whole bag out of the pantry and bring it to the couch. And I would say to myself, I'm only going to eat two. Mm. And I would eat two. And then I would say, well, I'm just going to eat two more. No more than that. Just so I'm going to have, you know, two serving. I'm going to eat two more. I would eat two more. And I'd be like, well, I already had double my serving. So it won't hurt me much more to eat two more. So I would eat two more. And then I would look down at the package and I would, you know how they come in two rows, right? Yes. Oh, I almost finished that row. May as well just finish the row. And then I would finish Perfect. the row. And then I would say, well, the package is here. I may as well start on the second row. I'm going to start on the second row. And until I had eaten the entire, I didn't just sit and eat the whole package. I talked myself into eating, eating the it. entire package of the Oreo cookies. I would get down to the last two cookies and go, oh my God, I just ate the whole bag of cookies. And then I'd be like, well, it can't hurt to eat those last two mm. and eat the last two. When I, so I slowly, slowly over a year, I exercised, changed those habits and I lost the 52 pounds in one year. It took a year to do it. But I found myself after that, giving myself permission to get something in my grocery cart that I knew was not healthy and that I really didn't want to eat, but I was just going to go ahead and eat it. Mm. And I had a kind of a, an epiphany one day over salt and vinegar potato chips. I really like salt and vinegar potato chips. So I walked past the aisle that had the salt and vinegar potato chips and I got the idea to take it and put it in my cart, but I resisted it. And I went around the corner and I was shopping for other things. And I said to myself, you know, you're going to get those chips. You may as well just go around back there and put the bag in your cart. And so I went around and got the bag and put it in my cart. And it wasn't a huge bag. It was a single serving bag. 
And I thought, mmm, I'm going to eat that on my way home. So by the time I get home, I can just put the bag in the trash. I won't even bring it in the house. Oh, it's going to be so delicious. And then this part of me, that part you were talking about, said, who said so? Who said so? I don't have to do that. Mm. I don't want to do that. That's not what's best for me. I can go put that bag of potato chips back. Mm. And I waited just a minute to see what would happen. And the other side of me said, yeah, but you know you're going to put them, you're going to keep them and you're going to eat them on the way home. Mm. And I had to force myself to say, you know what? You're not winning this one. And I took those chips like they were hot, a hot potato and threw them back on the shelf and left the store. I <sighs> <sighs> did what was best for me. Mm. But it was a real battle. It was a real, a literal, you know, all these two voices were challenging each other. And I had to realize the voice I was going to let win, that I had, was thinking was going to win, was not the voice that had my best interest at heart. Mm. The voice that was saying, you have the power to choose. Don't let that voice talk you into doing something that you know isn't good for you. That voice had my best interest at heart. And I, I began to exercise my right to choose what was good for me. Now, if I'd only done that with my, my mindset too, I maybe not wouldn't have had to go through what I went through. You know, where's the good in it? Let's find the good in it. Well, and that battle was just about a bag of potato chips. So just imagine what the, the amount of battles that we have every single day if we don't have a trained brain. Yeah. So let's come to the, we've talked about the mindset part and uh, we also talked about the body part. We've covered that in a conversation so far. Uh, what do you think uh, is the role of the spirit in this entire abundant health? Right. Yeah. So I'm not talking, when I'm talking about spirit, I'm not talking about a specific religion or religious practice. Hmm. Um, that played a big role for me because I was having a lot of cognitive dissonance, a lot of discomfort with my religious practices from growing up. And I needed to address that as well. But what I'm more thinking about with the spirit is the soul self, you know, the, the center core self. Mm. And that is the self that's saying you don't have to choose what it is that's breaking your body down. That's the true self, the, the, in the Taoist practices that I'm studying now, that is the original self, right? And then the, you get the acquired mind, the habituated mind, which is the, the, the ego, mm. right? Not the true self. So for me to, to go through an experience like cancer, meta, metastasized cancer, and not to be afraid, I had to be very sure that there is a part of me that is never going to be touched by any of that, mm. that was present before I was born, that is present in me now, and that will be present when the human suit is, is finished. Right. And without really having a deep awareness of that, you are going to be afraid. Most people are terrified of, of not existing any longer. They don't have, they don't have a, a, a 
present experience of their eternal nature, mm. right? And so it's something that's hard to communicate. And if you don't feel it, you don't have the awareness of it, it nothing I would say would make any sense. But if you do have a little glimmer of a reality or a realization of it, um, the little glimmer can get bigger and bigger until you don't have any fear. Um, the, the radiologist who did the, with the surgeon who did the first uh, scan for me said, you must be really scared. And I looked at her and I said, I'm not. Mm. This, this, this is not me. This is the technology I'm using as the soul to experience the earth and life and, and growth. Do you know what I mean? But th this isn't, isn't me. If this, if this were all of me I had, I would be scared, of course. Mm. I don't want to stop experiencing being alive. But this temporal part of me that's, that's limited, that has a, a birth date and a, I will have a death date, isn't yes. all there is. It's not all there is. And so I remember, <laughs> I remember one time, <laughs> I haven't told this story to anyone, so you'll be the first one to hear it. I grew up in a very, very um, conservative Christian belief system. Mm. And part of the belief system was when you die, your soul goes on, you're into heaven and you exist as a spiritual being in that mm. way. Mm. So I had that belief didn't quite understand it, but you, you would understand it when it happened, we were told, right? And my minister that was serving the church I was going to watched me trying to do so many things. I wanted to do photography. I wanted to do cooking classes. I want, there's so many, I'm a learner. I wanted to do so many things all at the same time. And he said, you need about nine lives times lifetimes to do everything you're trying to do in this lifetime. Mm. And he said, don't you feel like you have an eternal existence ahead of you? Why are you trying to cram everything in now? Because he believed and taught that once you died, your soul, if there were things you were passionate about, you would be able still to experience those things. And it just hit me. It's like, Oh, that's right. I don't have to do it all right now. I have all of eternity to do all these things. And that, that was, even though that may be a different way, I look at things a little bit differently now than I did then, that, that light came on in that moment. Right? Mm. And so that, that, I think, plays a huge role in your stress level, your anxiety level, your tension. If you have this awareness that the, of the reality of existence. Mm. You have even a, an idea of what it might be. You have this reoccurring weakness that you just are struggling to overcome. Hey, maybe that's the thing your soul said, I really want to master that this time around, you know? And so can you participate with your soul and help move that curriculum forward? That's mm. a much different way to live life. Mm. Because then you're not trying to get out of uncomfortable relationships or difficult situations because you realize that situation is providing exactly the metrics you need in order to master that lesson. Right? Mm. It's a whole different, it, it almost begins to like a game of sorts, you know, it's a whole different ball game when you're looking at life that way. Mm. 
you don't have the fear of missing out on stuff you're you're much more relaxed absolutely you can just let let what is be what it is mm. and that doesn't mean accepting you know there, there's a fine line i'm not talking about accepting being in an abusive relationship maybe you know that's not what i'm talking about did your soul say i want a lifetime experience so that i can really master patience mm. i think humility was a really important lesson and i just felt this urging it was before i had any of these concepts in my head i said i'm going to take a whole year and do a focus on humility mm. and i spent one entire year and all of my spiritual study or my higher level study was all on humility it was amazing really enjoyed it this year my focus is on enjoying life i feel like oh, i have a lot to teach how to give where's my platform how i don't have this and i don't wait a minute i enjoy learning i've already taught a lot you know and mm -hmm. i have the opportunity to teach here and there but I also enjoy learning. So this year, it's okay for me to enjoy life and enjoy learning. I feel much more content. <laughs> so that you're not in a rush to do things. And I'm not swimming upstream. You know, I'm not in, I'm not in the kind of life now that really lends itself for me to have a big platform and a, a following and a, an email list and a squeeze page and you know all of my friends that are doing this and building these big platforms and selling big programs I really feel clear that I'm here to touch whoever is put right in front of me mm. and I have been able to have some very positive impact on a, quite a lot of people beautiful uh, if you had the opportunity to include three books in schools across the world in their school curriculum, which would those three books be and why? Oh, that's a hard question to ask me because I'm a book hound. I love, I love, I love books. Well, there's two that come to my mind foremost one is dr bruce lipton the biology of belief okay he's a he's a bio uh cellular biologist and he talks about how belief changes the way the cells communicate mm. with each other the second one would be dr joe dispenza's book you are the placebo okay you are the placebo it's a beautiful mm. book beautiful beautiful book i read it several times and written a paper on it um the third book what would the third book be and it's called mind to matter mm -hmm. mind to matter okay and nina moore johnny has a really great book called um dying to be me i don't yes. know you know if i would put it in schools for kids but certainly in university yes yeah. anita moore johnny i've read the book it's a beautiful book. Yes. What an amazing story. Yes. I heard. I hope to get to meet her. Yes. I heard about her from one of Dr. Wayne Dyer's video 
And he, while I, he found her, yeah, and he encouraged her to start telling her story and get on big stages and bring that message to the masses. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Excellent. So I think we could do another episode where we talk more focused, and this was more like you know covering all the aspects of life of abundant health. But I think we <laughs> yeah. can go in much more depth and also the technical aspects, so that people can actually learn something straight away and then apply it in their lives so that they can see some shifts happening in their health, in their mindset, in their spirit, and overall improve the quality of their lives. So for now, but I'd like to thank you so much for your time and for sharing your stories, sharing your heart so openly. I'm truly grateful. Thank you so much. And is there anything like, where can people find more about you and where can they connect with you? So please feel free to share. So I have a website. It's my name, Beth, B-E-T-H, Beth Meisner. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have an Instagram. I have the other social medias like Twitter and Pinterest, but I'm really not active over there. I'm just really on Instagram and Facebook. Hmm. I have a YouTube channel. It's Abundant Health Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G. And I do have videos there if anyone wants to practice Qigong with me or learn Qigong and then take it to the park. And it's best to do it outdoors under the trees or in grass. I also do some meditations. I'm putting up a series right now of the five elements meditations. So when you do the guided meditation with me, you're breathing in the color for that element and you're breathing that color down to the organ for that Mm. element you're releasing the negative emotion that damages that element's organs and you're bringing in the emotion that is nurturing and nourishing that Um, they're in organ pairs the yin and the yang sets of organs so that's a really beautiful offering for everyone to be able to have those guided meditations i'm going to be doing short a short metal element meditation 10 minute and then i'll do a half hour so you have the option to do a short one or a long one i'm also doing singing um the the singing bowls so mm-hmm. i have right now an introductory of my singing bowls i have gemstone bowls and they're tuned to the chakras in the body starting from the root chakra all the way up to the crown chakra so mm-hmm. i'll be offering 15 minute singing bowl sessions and then longer singing bowl sessions for people who want to use them in their meditations. So that's a little bit, I don't have much, but that's what I've got. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I am grateful for your time and thank you so much for the contribution. And I look forward to having even more conversations with you and sharing the knowledge that you've gathered through your experience with a lot of people. Anytime I'm here. Excellent. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you know someone inspiring and successful, please pass them on to me. I'd love to interview them and share their story. If you want to get coached to create the life of your dreams, connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Yayati Desai. That is Y-A-Y-A-T-I-D-E-S-A-I. You can also connect with me on my website at yayatidesai.com. Thanks once again for listening. Until next time, do something awesome.